0: Tell you what, He said, when Paul speaks of the last days, he's not referring to the very end of history, but the decline of the world, long span as history winds its way toward the apocalypse battle. The rhetorical pattern, he says, is, is a catalog here of vices that we're going to read in a minute in 2 Timothy. And it's one of Paul's what he calls nightmare passages of how bad the world could get. he says, how bad can a society become? Well, the brief apocalyptic vision here in 2 Timothy 3, verses one through nine, we're gonna look at in a minute, tells us just how bad it can get. As often in the New Testament epistles, this list includes obviously heinous sins, really gross iniquity kind of things. It hit our, our colleges too. Uh, the other day, the chair lady called me in and says, Jim, we got a situation. And I said, what kind of situation is this? And she said, <laughs> and she said did you say so-and-so and so-and-so and so in class? I said, no. I said, uh, we were talking about Margaret Sanger and about the birth control movement in the 1930s, but nothing, you know, why? And uh, she went on this list. And anyway, she said, and I want you to listen to this, that I had said uh, anti-abortion, homophobic. Of course, everything's homophobic now, you know. And something else. I said, I didn't say that. And we are having this Me Too and this taking notes down and turning professors in all over the country. And I guess that if um, you get in trouble for that, they implement a thing called Title IX where these activists, ACLU types that run this office at Columbus State can come in and tell us what we can say and not say. Which would mean you couldn't say anything about this list of stuff I'm going to talk about this morning. (laughs) That's what it really means, you know. And, you know, to be a professor means to profess. Now, students can challenge on anything you say, of course, and you can't do anything about it. And if they say something on an essay exam, as long as, you know, uh, they, they can prove what they're saying, then you just give them the grade. You know, it's, it's okay. But a lot of our students today are very much activists. And I'm afraid the University of Berkeley has traveled east at a breakneck speed. So, I was thinking about this. I said, you know, when I was growing up in the late 50s, early part of the 60s as a child, we would have never envisioned gay marriage. We would have never envisioned easy divorce. Or We used to have this show on TV when I was a little kid called Queen for a Day. It was on like a 5 o'clock the afternoon, you know. And it'd come on right, come on right before divorce court. <laughs> and that California judge would get these people get ready to get divorce and say, you all go home and grow up, act like adults, and if you still want to do this six months now, I'll give you the divorce. But in the meantime, you get some help. <laughs> he very seldom ever let any of them actually get a divorce, you know. Well, that's the kind of world we live in now. Everything, uh, I heard Robbie Zacharias say once, you know, the problem now is that there is nothing wrong with anything except being a Christian, being opposed to certain lifestyles, and uh, taking a stand against them. You will immediately become a bigot. And we live in an age now of lawlessness. These people don't want a border. They don't want to protect us. They don't want to do their constitutional duty. Everything goes now. They want to turn us into France. And they're doing it. At a breakneck speed. Well, this is what Paul was talking about, about the character of the last days. If you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Do you have everybody stand for the reading of the Word? Do you? Okay. Let's all stand for the reading of the Word then. We're just going to do the first nine verses. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty... Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they'll not get very far, for their folly will be plain plain to all as was of those two men. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for that it it stands forever. We thank you that we know that one day our redemption draws nigh, and we will escape uh, the temporal consequences of these things. But, oh God, we pray for all of our loved ones, relatives, children, grandchildren, our work colleagues that are without God. We pray that we will get a greater sense of urgency about where they stand and help them and lead them until life everlasting. In Christ's name, amen. This was written, and you're going to see how timely this is, this was written at a time when Christians were seen as enemies of the state. Okay? And... The emperors of the time, Trajan, and some of them that came after uh, Nero. Did everything they could to persecute the Christians. Now, what Paul tells us here is that, well, we'll give give, give you an example. Dr. Muller down at the seminary said that we are living now in the Roman world. We have come full circle. We've gone backwards. We've gone through the great... Great revivals in the plane of the churches and the Puritans and the first and second great awakenings and the revivals and all that stuff. Now we have making a U-turn and going right back to where he came, like ancient Rome. So Paul would have understood our world now. He would have said, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> I've already seen it. I know how this goes. You know, and we know what happened to Peter and Paul and the disciples, right? That's the world we live in. Now, here he says, number one, if you're taking notes, it would be Roman numeral one, perilous times. Now, what are the perilous times? Well, first thing he says, that men will be lovers of self. You know what a lover of self is? That is someone whose moral corruption follows from a misdirected affection. I remember the, remember that sitcom was t- television years ago, Designing Women. Remember D- D- Delta Burke? <laughs> Suzanne. She's real vain. She only talking about her hair and being a beauty queen and all this kind of stuff. Well, that was, all, that was all spoof. That was funny. But, you know, there are a lot of people like that. Their moral corruption follows from misdirected affection. Their three favorite people in the world are I, Myself and me. They would never, they, a lot of people today are self absorbed. He said, People will be covetous. Now that corrupts all moral values. When somebody is covetous, that makes us a danger to one another. A lot of, you know, when you, you ever watch these true crime shows sometimes? It's always the husband <laughs> or the wife shot. Well, it's, never some, it's not like in the cop show, like Perry Mason or anything. Somebody you never heard of, you don't know, whatever. It's always spousal. Why? Because covetous makes us dangerous to one another. And a lot of, my dad's plumber, he was a building contractor, my dad's plumber was murdered by his own son. That's a case where the men's enemies are the men of his own house. In the last days, there will be boasters. They will brag of their accomplishments while holding other people in contempt. If they do not fear God, they will not regard man. Uh, you know, there's a story about Muhammad Ali. He was probably, probably the world's greatest braggart, right? And uh, the stewardess came to him and said, uh, Sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. We're getting ready to land. And uh, he looked up and he said, Superman don't need no suit belt." And she said, "Yeah, and Superman don't need no airplane either. So fasten your seatbelt." <laughs> so that meant, you know, he was that way. He was always bragging. He gave everybody a nickname. He fought the dummy, the mummy, the gorilla. You know all this stuff. But he was really stuck on himself. Boasters they brag of their accomplishments while holding others in contempt. Proud means to be haughty or arrogant. Blasphemers are abusive, evil-speaking people against their fellow man and God. Disobedient to parents. Selfishness breeds rebellion as rights become more important than responsibility. I'll tell you, my students are little future ACLU lawyers. I'm not joking. I mean, they, they know their rights. They haven't got a clue of their responsibility. I got this one guy, uh, I'm teaching a high school class, too, out here at the early college high school in Marysville, and I got this one guy that hasn't turned a paper in on time the whole time he's been there. He just thinks he can do it whenever he wants to. Now, they've written me a letter, and they're wanting me to um, give him some kind of a reference for some kind of big scholarship or something. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to get from me. I mean, he, he, he's not going to make it in college. You can't. If we all lived our lives like, we'll get to it when we get to it, would our economy ever function? You see, people are unthankful or ungrateful. Belief that society owes you a living, a home, or comfort, or happiness. You see, in Europe, in America, we have what we call welfare capitalism. In other words, we have a welfare state. And we've got a safety net. And that's okay. I mean, we, we have people that are, are blind and, and lame and so on. But now we've got absolutely, they call it a caravan, but it's really a horde of people coming across our border just to get those goodies. And they're given fake cards and they're given comic books that, that tell them how to say in English, asylum, so they can just get in. And the people who are socialists, those are people who don't believe in borders and the government takes care of everything, you know. They're trying to pack them in here. We live in a time of lawlessness. People do not obey the law. Uh, you know, people are unthankful, they believe that they're owed a living. They are unholy when individual rights become supreme. Any practice becomes acceptable as long as it does not violate the rights of another. That's what that means, unholy. What does that mean? Well, now that everyone has a right to gay marriage, and probably polygamy and polyamory and and bisexual marriages aren't, aren't far behind, that means that it's all okay just because it's written in law. But is every law in every country of the world just? Is every law in every country of the world holy? Is every law in every country of the world acceptable unto God? You see? A time of lawlessness. And that brings us to the next one, of course. Without natural affection. That's got a double meaning, of course, as we know what one of them is. But the other one is a self-centered society loses respect for relationships such as husband and wife and parent and child. Listen to me. What decent human being would allow a baby to come into the world and then and then and what's bad enough at all stages, but at the what the one that's really sensational now is laying the baby out on the table and taking its life after it's drawn its first breath and first cry. There is something very unnatural about parents who would literally murder their own innocent offspring. Something about that's not right. I've noticed ever since gay marriage has been legalized, every single television show has a gay character, and now we got one that even claims he's been beat up and he hadn't been beat up and all that stuff, you know, trying to get attention for it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That brings us to the next one: false accusers, slanderous, diabolai, which means like the devil. They are truce breakers. They admit admit a hostility against any truce, and relationships can be sacrificed for personal gain. Incontinent without self-control. Fierce, which means brutal. Despisers of those that are good. Haters of those that are righteous. Righteous. You know, whenever one of these uh, people that live these alternative lifestyles get killed, it makes the news for days. But when that Baptist church in Waco was invaded and, all, and that pastor was killed, and when there's been several other pastors murdered, two of them have been Southern Baptists, by the way, it, gets, it makes the back page of the New York Times. Now, it's wrong to murder anybody, whether they're gay, straight, Christian, whatever. But the point is, it seems like the silence means they're celebrating the fact that there's about to become less of us. People are heady or reckless. They are high-minded. They have an unwarranted self-importance. They are blinded by conceit, and they can justify anything they do. All you got to do is watch those Hollywood award shows, and you would think that, man, how could the country, how could the country survive without Hollywood? They are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Self-gratification becomes their God. As one preacher wrote, they do not think any less of God. They hardly think of Him at all. Having a form of godliness in the old King James, but denying the power thereof. There is not a society without religion. This is not a society without religion. They had a pagan religion. It's a society without God. They adopt faith that makes due demands, but it also offers offers no salvation. Now, the second point we want to look at is Paul's warning in verse 5a. He says, from such, turn away. You know, what we have to do is insulate ourselves, not isolate ourselves. Listen, Paul went right into places where the Jews and the Romans wanted to kill him and stood up for Jesus. Now, we haven't got to that point yet. But what the point that Paul's trying to make here, and what Dr. Rankin was trying to show us here in the head note earlier, was those days are coming, though. No. And we need to reject a self-loving lifestyle, but not, no, but not those who live one. We are to say, that's not for me. But our job is to try to teach them. It's not really for them either. What they call apologetics doesn't mean saying you're sorry. Apologetics means defending the faith. And, you know, you can win an argument but lose a soul. You know what I mean? You can make somebody look pretty stupid with the Bible. And and the Bible does call people fools who don't believe in God. That's true. But you know what? That's not our job. That's God's job. Our job is to get out the Word of God. Our job is to be faithful to the Word of God. Our job is to speak uh, healing words in the lives of broken, shattered people who need God. And I want to tell you something, win an argument won't win them to Jesus. Now, Paul said, for this sort of they worm their way. They tunnel by way of insidious methods. And they creep by stealth. And they are taken captives or prisoners of war by silly women. Little, little women, that means, or feeble. And they are laden with sins, he said in verses 6 through 7, which mean they grasp for any solution which will give them relief. Oscar Wilde led one of the most perverse twisted lives in all of English history. And he talked to his uh, male lover, Robbie Ross. He said, Robbie, he said, did you ever love any one of those boys for their own sakes? And he said, no, I don't believe it did." He said, neither did I call a priest. Only Christ can cleanse me from this. And he said, dead in his 40s from debauchery. Listen, these people are ever learning and they will listen to it, any advice of any pseudo-Christian teacher, any secular humanist, any Marxist-Leninist. You, you name it, they will. And the Bible says, And then they are led away with divers, which means various lusts. Now there's the next thing, too, you have to see in this. is Not only are these, all these sins uh, paramount in our society, and not only has Paul warned us, But he's also now, he leads us now into the peril of resistance. We saw what the Egyptian sorcerers did, what he talked about in verses 8 and 9 here. They opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as this was these two men. You remember the story about them, their staff becoming the snake and all that, and Paul picked it up and or I mean, uh, Moses picked it up, and there was staff again, and so on. Well, you see, what that shows is that Christ's power is supreme. These sorcerers are frauds, and they are not God. And they said, he said in verse 9, there will, these kind of people will be manifest, they will be revealed in the end. You know, in the last days, began when Christ promised his return. History has been in a descent. You know, a lot of people think that the conservative Christians, the evangelical Christians, are the enemy of the state, the enemy of their good pleasure, the enemy of of their lives, so on. Let me tell you something. The people who represent traditional values, and, and that's the public word, we, we call it biblical values in church, of course. that represent those kind of values, are not your enemy. I always told my, stu- I always told my high school students, you know, I said, look, the, the, the people who are, are telling you to keep your hands to yourself, don't go to porn movies, don't get each other pregnant when you're 16 and all that, are not your enemy. Your enemies are the people who are trying to get you to do all that and destroy your life. Angelina Jolie makes all these movies where she takes all her clothes off and all this stuff, you know. And she was interviewed once and they asked her, do your kids ever see your movies? And she says, oh, no, there's no way in the world to go, they're going the to go see my movies. Yeah, but your kids and your grandkids, oh, i got no problem with that. You see? Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. There have been periods in the history of Christianity when these behaviors have been absolutely rampant. And we are at that place now. They are acute in our day because of the electronic and the print media. I was in a library once, up I was going to there and do some work. And so I turned the computer on, and man, bam, up popped all these pornographic thingies. These pictures and sex acts and stuff. I went over and I thought, man, there's little kids in here. I, I go there and told the librarian, I said, hey, I've got to have some help here. I'm just trying to uh, check some stuff for a, a lecture I'm making. But I said, there's a bunch of porn on this computer. She walked over there and she looked at me like I was the biggest prude in the world, like there was something wrong with me that that, that shouldn't even bother me. I was the one that was the nutcase and, the, you know, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. How in the world do kids get this in a library? I thought they were supposed to have thingies on there to, you know, make sure they couldn't get it. I said, well, you know, that's the way, that's the way we are. And so this is cute in our day because of, ele- of electronic and print media. Uh, went to a promise keepers thing in Washington, D.C. when they had that big thing on the mall that time, you know. And you would not believe you hear all of these broken, broken men talking about their addiction to pornography. Man, I mean, it would just, it would just, it just it just breaks you right in two. You can't understand it. And then that Patricia, what was her name? Forget, that was the head of uh, National Organization of Women was at the Methodist building on C-SPAN throwing all of the Promise Keepers tracks and stuff in this big trash can on national television. But when we walked out of the Promise Keepers thing, I wouldn't leave until I heard Tony Evans. (laughs) I had to stay to the end, you know. Uh, They were waving at us with handkerchiefs thanking us for coming. Hundreds and hundreds of women that had men that was addicted to all this stuff, apparently, you know. It was a powerful thing. It's A powerful thing to see. And I thought, man, But you know what, beloved? The wheat and the tares grow together. They have found some of our pastors in Texas that have been doing some pretty bad things too here of late. And that's the way it goes. Where Christ is, Satan ain't far behind. He wants to throw a monkey wrench in everything we do for the glory of God. People including these so-called graphically described silly women, are following charlatan preachers. When you see these video vicars on TV, this crefalo Dollar and, and uh, what's the lady Pentecostal preacher who has got the golden spigots in her house and all that stuff? What's her name? Yeah, Joyce Meyer, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know Oral Roberts was saying, if you don't send me the money for this hospital, I'm going to lose my soul and all this. Look, beloved, let me tell you something. That word faith thing is a fraud. And if you think for a minute that you're going to get the blessing of God for sending somebody who wastes millions of dollars on their own self-aggrandizement in the name of Christ, you've you've been played. The church is not some glass church house out in California. The church is the people of God. The ekklesia, the assembly, all of us. It don't matter if there's 14 of us in here or 4,000. We are the people of God. The church, yeah, it's organized, but it's really a living organism. It's alive and it's eternal. And Christ gave himself for it. Reprobates abound. People whose minds are void of all moral judgment. But you have to remember, one day they will be made manifest. I'm going to finish with reading a scripture. Uh, I'm pretty sure Matt knows where I'm going with it here, Romans 1. And uh, I want you to see what we're talking about here. And, and this was what, the way things were in, in, uh, in Rome, too. And uh, it's not any different today. And Rome is right back where it started today, too. Look at verse uh, 18 in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. See, when you read Psalm 19, you find out God has revealed Himself in nature. This is why they try to promote evolution so much. Uh, I just listened to Benjamin Weicker's book last night about the Darwin myth, and Darwin did not even want to mention the name of God in any of his research. They want a life, a human existence, devoid of God. Now listen to this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because He has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world are the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile, and their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You read Isaiah, he talks about. Now let me get this straight. You went out and cut down this tree, and then you uh, made the lumber, and you got your, uh, uh, cooked your meal with it. You took the scrap, carved you out a little idol, put it up on your mantle, and said, this is my God. And that's basically what people do. do. Therefore, listen this, this now. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men, and receiving it in themselves a penalty due to their error. You know, that Hollywood tried to tell us that the AIDS virus was a heterosexual thing. But it's not. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they gave, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You see, beloved, in these last days, we find that all these sensational sins are often called by the theologians, yeah, they're, they're part of society. And we may have loved ones and friends and ge- children and grandchildren may be indulging in some of these things. That's true. But I want to tell you something. You and I have to be alert to the evil that abounds. When we see a teachable moment, we need to seize it. Now, all this stuff's always been with us. You know, it's always been with us. But it's going to intensify in the last days. Herbert Hoover saw the invention of television that the world's fair. And he said, you know, he said, this thing has got potential for some good stuff. But he said, unfortunately, it's also got some potential for some horrific evil, too. Because now you can pipe pornography in your house and no one will see it but you and God. See what I mean? So, repeatedly, the scripture admonishes us, do not be We got to strive for unity of the Spirit of God in accordance with His inerrant Word. And like Paul would say, fear not little children, the enemies of the faith will be revealed and Christ will be vindicated. What I'm trying to get at here today, they always tell you in in seminary, you know, like Leia Koka says, keep the main thing the main thing, right? The point. And And here it is. What I'm trying to see here, what I'm trying to tell you here today is this. I know this is one of the more negative messages you get stuck having to preach from time to time, but it's in the scriptures it's gotta be preached. But here it is. Look. We cannot live in a bubble. I mean, cable television pretty well keeps you out of a bubble, you know. But listen to me, we have to have a sensitive spirit because people can see so many of these images and hear about so many of these things and read about so many of these things in books or whatever that after a while you get a, a, a callus on your soul about these things. You know what I mean? And stuff you hear about this doesn't trouble you anymore. And it should trouble you because that means that people are dying without God. When I was at Southeastern Seminary, we had these Korean guys that would walk all over the grounds all night long praying. And I was a night watchman. I had this little thing you had to do, uh, clock to see what, which station you were at what time and stuff. And I asked Dr. Miles, the evangelist professor, I said, what do you know about Korea? He said, oh, you saw those Korean guys, didn't you? I said, yeah, what's up with that? He said, they're praying for America. Yeah. I guess in terms of percentage and numbers, South Korea is one of the most evangelical countries in the world. And you know who is standing up against all this gay marriage stuff that the Church of England is condoning? The Anglican bishops in Africa. We live in a day, what I'm trying to get you to see here, is we live in a day when Africa... South America, the global South, are going to start sending missionaries to America. You know how Brazil's always been uh, famous for sexy lingerie and dresses on women and all that stuff? Well, get this. There's been an evangelical revival in Brazil, and apparently uh, the, 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 the uh, uh, designers are, are now designing for the Brazilian women much more modest clothes now. That's how much of an impact it's had. And guess what we're doing? Unity on TV, horrible language and rap songs, you know, all this stuff. Africa and South America and Korea and the Philippines, some of these places have got more evangelical people than we got. And you know who's got the largest evangelical population in the world as far as whole numbers? Red China a hundred million born-again people in the interior of Red China. We only got 33 million in the United States. And 16 million of those are Southern Baptists. So that means we're a target. That means you aren't going to be able to shoot your way out of this. God don't want you to anyway. What that means is is that we need to be ready for what is to come. And in these last days, we need to stay on our knees for our children, for our society, for our, our government, uh, so on. Because if we do not, instead of being martyrs, you just be a victim. Be diligent. Do not be deceived. Be prayerful. Be careful. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And realize that in these last days, you, may, you might do nothing but have a little New Testament on your desk at work, and you might get rode up. Yeah. See what I mean? They want to destroy anything that has anything to do with the Bible. I know a presidential candidate said a while back, she said, uh, well, I believe in freedom of religion. Uh, well, she says, I believe in freedom of worship. That means you come in here at 11 o'clock and keep your mouth shut when you, when you walk out the door. Freedom of religion means the free exercise thereof. That means evangelism, tracts, hospitals, soup kitchens, camp meetings, Bible conferences, we have a right to all of that. Freedom of worship is just one hour of it. So what I'm trying to get you to see is trying to bring an awakening to our, our people and to, to, to awaken themselves to see that we're in a tough spot. But I want to tell you something. They threw the three men in the fiery furnace. They didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't burn. But you know what's more significant? They said, even if we do burn, we're still not going to worship your false god. We don't know what the future has for us. But the, but, but the moral of this story today is this, and the this sermon is this. Don't be, don't be afraid of the world. Fear God said Solomon, and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. Don't worry about what they can do to you. Put your trust in Christ. Look up, beloved, because your redemption draws nigh. Brother Matt, do you want to close out the service today? or Okay. on this passage I just want to close by reading Um, it's interesting